This morning I'm looking at Ephesians 5, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, Ephesians 5. <clears throat> Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you are once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and his, and his bones, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This morning I also want to read from Matthew 25, 1 to 13. 
which is a well-known parable to many of us. Matthew 25, 1 to 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. As I spent time looking at Ephesians 5, I kept asking the Lord why this chapter moves from talking about love, light, and wisdom in the first 21 verses, and then ends with marriage. And the NKJV specifically titles verse 22 to 33, Marriage, Christ, and the Church. And typically, the last verses of Ephesians 5 are used to look at the marriage institution and the obligations that the wife and the husband have for each other. But as I meditated on Ephesians 5, I felt there was a larger message, a bigger message in Ephesians 5 to everyone, whether you're married or unmarried. And so as I was pondering, I felt the Lord lead me to the parable in Matthew 5. And as I looked at it, uh, for me, the message unfolded. And I'm praying that this uh, will also unfold before you. And so my message this morning is titled, Christ's Bride. Because I'm hoping and praying that as we leave uh, this morning, um, I think we leave quite a bit late, sorry. Uh, that you will walk away knowing that you're Christ's bride. I want I Am Christ's Bride to be the song that each of us will leave this place today uh, in our head. Matthew 25 begins by likening the kingdom of heaven to ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. They are virgins, which means that they are unmarried, and as all of them go out to meet the bridegroom, they have lamps. You need to carry a lamp uh, in this setting. In verse 2, Jesus says that five of them were wise and five were foolish, and there the distinction begins. The foolish ones took lamps that were empty, while the wise ones carried oil in theirs. It goes without saying that for a lamp to function, it must have oil that will enable it to be lit so that when the time comes, it can emit the needed light. So it's foolish for you to carry an empty lamp when you know it will serve you no good when you need light. Now for context, this parable is premised on Jewish wedding customs 
whereby the bridegroom would come together with his friends and escort the bride from her home to the bridegroom's home. And what would happen is that the bride's friends would be waiting to join them somewhere along the way. And then they would accompany the bridegroom uh, to his home and go in for the wedding. Now the reason for the lamps is because most of these functions happened in the evening. And so night would be approaching. And so it may mean that the wedding will go late into the night. And so you need a lamp uh, for the light. Now, I want you to pay close attention to Ephesians 5, 29 to 32. I'm starting from the end. This is what it says. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now when you come to verse 21 of Ephesians 5, Paul has urged the audience, his audience, to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. And then in verses 22 to 28, he now addresses wives and husbands, where the wife is asked to submit to her own husband, who is her head as Christ is the head of the church. The husband is asked to love his wife, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So these seven verses, 22 to 28, are totally focused on the relationship between husband and wife. So if you are not married and you're reading them, you'd be justified in not paying attention, as it doesn't concern you. But then wait, come to verse 29, and Paul is now talking about no one hating his flesh. So he's saying no one. He's not saying no husband or no wife hating his flesh, but no one. No one hates his flesh but nourishes it, just as the Lord does the church. And suddenly, if you are dozed off because you are not married, Paul then comes to verse 30 and says that we are members of his body, the body of Christ, of his flesh and of his bones. So again here, he's not talking about the husband and the wife. Suddenly we are all roped in, married or unmarried. But then again in verse 31, he goes to talk about a man leaving his mother and father to be joined to his wife and becoming one flesh. What is he talking about? In Ephesians 5.32, Paul calls this a great mystery. He says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. So it's nothing to do with the mortal man leaving home, leaving his father and mother, and joining his wife. The mystery that Paul is talking about is the fact that Christ is a husband, and we are his bride, his wife-to-be. And I'm saying wife-to-be deliberately, because in a while you'll see why that will be. The term bride denotes a woman waiting to become a wife once she is married to her husband. And all of us here, if you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, are his bride. To the earthly husbands in our midst, 
and watching online. If you are a believer, let me ask you to stand up. I am standing. If you are a husband and you are a believer, please stand up. Sorry, guys, I'm not going to embarrass you. <laughs> Husbands, we are brides. Can you imagine? We are brides. You have the distinct role of being a bride. Thank you, Christian. You have the distinct role of being a husband and a bride. Husbands, I'd like us to say we are brides. I am a bride, a bride of Christ. A bride of Christ, please sit. If you are a wife and you are a believer, please stand. We are wives, you are wives, yes, but you are also brides. Wives, please say, I am a bride. I am a bride of Christ. Please sit. If you're single, you are not left out either. <laughs> if you're single and you're a believer, please stand, male or female. You didn't think I'd leave you out, guys, did you? <laughs> Please say, I am a bride. I am a bride of Christ. Please sit. For the singles, you are betrothed. Your singlehood will come to an end. both physically and prophetically. <laughs> Not only are we his bride, but in Ephesians 5 we are told we are also members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. That is Ephesians 5.30. Now remember what Jesus said in John 4.34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So if you are members of his body, his flesh, and bones, I think it follows that because we are part of him, then our food must also be to do the will of him who sent him and to finish his work which he commissioned to us in Matthew 28, 18, and 20, to go and make disciples of all nations. Now that's the ending of Ephesians 5. I want to go back to verse 1 of Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. To imitate is to take or follow or model. It's to copy or simulate. So if I take Jesus' words in John 4, 34, that my will is to do the, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then I add Matthew 28, 18, 20, to go and make disciples of men. And then top it up with Ephesians 5, 1 to be imitators of God. 
Paul is urging us to be like God because we are his dear children. Those of us who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus being God and we being part of his body, we then imitate Jesus by eating his food, which is doing the will of God, and his will for us is to make disciples of all nations. And then Ephesians 5, 1 to 21 helps us to know how to achieve this. And the verses in Ephesians 5, 1 to 21 have nothing to do with marital status. They apply to everyone. And it goes without saying that you'd be one very foolish husband or wife to state that because the last verses of Ephesians 5 relate to husbands and wives, the first 21 verses don't relate to you. They relate to all the rest. And similarly, you'd be one foolish unmarried person if you say that verse 22 to 23 only apply to those who are married. Because as I've stated, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, he is your husband and you're his bride and wife-to-be. So they apply to you as well. Therefore, the exhortation in verse 1 to submit to him, in the last verses to submit to him, can't be ignored because, now get this, he on his part did not ignore the exhortation to submit uh, to lovers. In verse 5, uh, Ephesians 5.25, we are told that he gave himself, the husband gave himself for us. So Jesus, he met his obligation because he did that on the cross at Calvary. He fulfilled his obligation. And now for you, his bride, you have the obligation to fulfill yours, as we are told in Ephesians. Now this is where it got very captivating for me. The significance of our being the bride of Christ led me to Revelation 19, 7 to 9. This is what it says. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. The ten virgins were waiting for the marriage supper when the groom would come for his bride. Those with the oil were invited in. They were prepared. While those who didn't have the oil were left out. Now, oil in the Bible represents the Holy Spirit. So the oil that Jesus referred to in the parable of the ten virgins was the Holy Spirit. And the work of that oil in the lamps was to give light when the darkness came. In John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus promised his disciples that the Father will give you another helper that he, he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. His Holy Spirit was coming to his bride to help her as she waited for his final return. And what was the bride being helped in? In the passage, Revelation 19, 7, 
When the lamb comes, he finds his wife ready for him. And this is where you and I come in as his bride. What does his Holy Spirit help you in? Which then makes the assumption that there is oil in your lamp. Because if you have no oil, the lamp cannot go on when needed to dispel the darkness. And the darkness is the world we are in. We are the light if we have the Holy Spirit in us. So the Holy Spirit, to answer what is coming to help you do, helps us to be ready for him like the bride in Revelation 19.8, who is arrayed in fine linen, which is a symbol of the righteous acts of the saints she is doing, and which we will do by imitating God. And so what are we imitating? What are these righteous acts? Ephesians 5, 1 to 21 sets them out. In Ephesians 5, 2 to 7, Paul tells them to walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The bride recognizes that it is the love of Christ which he evidenced by being offered as a sacrifice on our behalf that compels us to walk in love. We walk in love because of the love of Christ by our husband, our groom. In other words, you imitate God by walking in love. And what is love? We all know 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love does not fail. The oil in you being the Holy Spirit is the one that enables you to love in this manner. You can't love like this in your own strength. Left to our own devices, there is no way, for instance, you will not seek your own. We all seek our own. Human beings are famously selfish. To imitate Christ, who rather than seek his own, endured suffering and death for our sakes, can only happen when the Holy Spirit is in you. The second epistle of John at verse 5 and 6 says this, And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. John is emphasizing the point that you cannot say that you have love if you're disobedient to what God requires of you. And from Ephesians 5, the commandment is that you imitate God by walking in love, which entails obeying all his commandments. And then Ephesians 5, 3 to 5 gives the opposite of walking in love. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, 
neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Now here's where the five foolish virgins with their empty lamps come into the picture. Verse five, for this you know, fornicators, unclean people, covetous men, who are also called idolaters, surprisingly, none of them has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You may look like one of the five virgins, one of the ten virgins. You may have what looks like a lamp, but if your lamp has no oil, the Holy Spirit is not in your life, and when the groom comes for his bride, you'll be left out of the marriage supper. When your lamp has oil, you will walk in love. And I've given illustrations of how this looks like. But if you're engaged in fornication, if you're an unclean person, if you're covetous, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And just like the five foolish virgins who are not welcome into the feast, you will not be welcome when our groom, Jesus Christ, comes for us, his bride. In Ephesians 5, 6, and 7, Paul says that we should not be deceived because the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, and therefore we should not be partakers with them. John in Revelation 2, 9 has a stark warning to some, to some in the church in Milna, where he says, I know your works, tribulations, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Be wary, brothers and sisters, be wary that you do not call yourself a bride of Christ, and yet your life amounts to a blasphemy by calling yourself a bride yet you're a synagogue of Satan by your actions, by engaging in disobedience and partaking with the sons of disobedience. So Ephesians 5.1 is calling on his bride, on you and I, on everyone who stood up to imitate God in spirit and in truth and not to pretend to by living a contrary life. Secondly, we imitate God by walking in light. So we, the children of God, are the light of the world. In Ephesians 5, 8, we read, For you are once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit, the oil, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Darkness is the absence of God and his Holy Spirit in your life. A lamp without oil is a dark lamp. John 1, 4 to 5 tells us that in him was life in Jesus, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So by urging us to be imitators of God, 
Paul is urging his audience, he's urging you and I, who are once darkness, to know that the light of Jesus, his Holy Spirit, is in them, is in you. They are no longer darkness and so must walk as children of light. And how do you walk in light? Ephesians 5.10 tells us that you do so by finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Walking in the light is achieved by finding out what is acceptable to the Lord because he is light. Recently, I bought an app for my laptop. Uh, one of my hobbies is photography, and I needed to app it up. So I got this app, but I had to go through the instructions to understand how it works so that I could begin improving my photos. Here we are being told that we need to walk in the light in imitation of God. His oil is in you, his Holy Spirit. But you need to find out how and where he wants you to walk in the light. If you're like me, you may have found yourself in a situation where you have this urge, this inclination to do something when you're in a particular situation. Or sometimes you have this, you wake up in the morning and a name pops into your mind. And the whole day try as you might. You can't ignore that name. You keep wanting to pick up your phone and, and make a call. That urge for me many times ends up being the Holy Spirit asking me to spread his light in that situation to that person because that is what is acceptable to him for that moment and is required of me. You'll call somebody and you say, I just thought about you, and they're like, you know, I needed to hear that. At that particular moment, the light that the Holy Spirit wanted you to spread was towards that person. But you have to listen. When Jesus ate with the tax collectors and prostitutes, going against the norm, he was walking in the light in imitation of God who had sent him to bring light into a dark world, into that dark space of those people. And you and I are called to walk in the light wherever we are. And I think I'm right if I say that if you're in a situation of darkness and your light is not exposing it, then perhaps like Ephesians 5:11, you need to heed the warning not to have fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. Because if you're the light and you're in darkness and the darkness remains, the problem is not the darkness. The problem is the light that is not shining out in that area. Could it mean that the oil is missing in you so that there is nothing to light. Remember, the five virgins were locked out because their lamps had no light. And the five wise virgins, incidentally, exemplified what Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, 11 to 13, to expose the darkness and to have nothing to do with it. Ephesians 5, 11 says this, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And then verse 13 continues to say, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. When the five virgins refused to share their oil with the five foolish ones, the result was that the foolish virgins were exposed to the groom and their sloppiness in not carrying the oil. And so they couldn't get into the banquet. As his bride, Jesus is calling on us to walk in the light, to have no fellowship with darkness, 
but expose it for what it is. He talks about the unfruitful works of darkness in verse 11, but in verse 18, verse 8 and 9, he urges us to walk in the light and then adds that the fruit of the Spirit, literally what the oil does when it is lit, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So the oil in you must lead you to goodness, to righteousness, and truth. Luke 11, 33 to 36 summarizes this for me. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. When your whole body is full of light, all goodness, righteousness, and truth will eliminate from your life. It can't be any other way. So we imitate God by walking in love, by walking in light, and thirdly, by walking in wisdom. This is captured in Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The five wise virgins walked circumspectly. To be circumspect is to be wary and unwilling to take risks. We are not told what time they started waiting for the bridegroom. It could have been early afternoon, could have been morning, and so the function, if it was an early morning function, early afternoon, could have been done and finished while it was still light. But they took their lamps, and because of their circumspection, they filled them with oil just in case there was delay. When you read um, the latter verses of uh, Matthew 25, I think they also carried extra oil uh, with them just in case. And I say this because when you, in verse 8, you read that the foolish ones were telling the wise ones that our lamps are about to go out. So maybe they had some oil, but because they didn't uh, factor in how long it could take, they didn't carry extra oil. So the others maybe could have carried an extra jar of oil. But that's my interpretation. That's not what the Bible says. But the parable tells us that indeed the bridegroom was delayed because he came at midnight. For the five foolish ones, Probably they reckoned it was early, and so the lamps may not even be needed. The five foolish wise ones were circumspect in their conduct, and that is what we need to be. To give an example, if you've been delivered from an addiction to anything, could be alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, you don't have to go into a pub full of your old drinking buddies to prove or confirm that indeed you've been delivered from drinking. Circumspection means that you stay away from the pub and the tempting company. 
That is also called wisdom. Yeah? Foolishness is going to try and prove that you are delivered. When what you are de delivered from is there in bountiful, and the guys you used to drink with are there asking you one for the road. <laughs> so how do you walk in wisdom? Ephesians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, do not be unwise. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Walking in wisdom is understanding what the will of the Lord is. And the word of God is the will of God. So it's impossible for you to understand what the will of the Lord is if you don't spend time studying and meditating on his word. Incidentally, in case you don't know, his word starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation. 66 books, not the ones you think you can understand. It's from Genesis to the end of Revelation. And if I was to take a poll this morning, I wonder how many of us have read through the Bible at least once in your life. I want to throw out a challenge this morning for anyone who's never read the Bible through. I want to dare you to read through the Bible in the next 12 months. Not 12 weeks, not 12 days, but 12 months. Try and read through for the next 12 months. His will for you is contained in those 66 books. And that is the place to start in understanding his will. How do you walk in wisdom? Ephesians 5.18 says, by being filled with the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, his oil. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, only then can you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making a melody in your heart to God. I want to add this. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you could look like you're speaking in psalms and singing hymns and spiritual songs. And I remembered, and many, many of you probably will identify with me, have you ever wondered why, if you go back to our native homes, the local drunks know all the Christian vernacular songs from beginning to the end? Every time they are drunk, the only songs they sing are Christian songs. And I've always wondered, how is that? But you know what? They can sing all the Christian songs they want. But if they are not filled with the Holy Spirit, if Jesus is not their Lord and Savior, they are but five foolish virgins. They will never enter into the wedding banquet. And I dare say that if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, you could possibly be just like that uh, local drunk who is drunk with wine and is singing hymns and spiritual songs but is really one of those being castigated in Revelation 2.9, that they are a Jew, but are a synagogue of Satan. You really don't mean what you're singing. You don't even know what you're singing or speaking because you don't live it. And talking about giving thanks, always, I don't think giving thanks to God for allowing the traffic cop to accept your bribe to let you go is the thanks that God is talking about here. 
This is not the thanks that, God, that Paul is alluding to. I do believe the thanks you're giving God for is for what he has done in your life to enable you live for him. The true bride of Christ must be filled with the Holy Spirit who then helps him or her to walk in wisdom. And then we have the wonderful promise from James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given him. And I think this should be a prayer for each one of us all the time. I don't think you can ever have enough wisdom. So if you think you need wisdom for the season you're in now, maybe you need to understand what his will for your life is, ask him this morning, ask him for his wisdom. He promises that he'll give it to you liberally. We imitate God by walking in love, by walking in the light, and by walking in wisdom. And we do so because we are firstly his bride, but also members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. I want to end with a small story. A few years ago, my wife and I had this lady who used to come to work for us, and she worked for us for a period of time. And occasionally she'd not show up for three days, four days, and when she came, she would say something had come up at home, and um, she was tied up and she couldn't come to work. And this continued for many months, until one day she came, and we noticed that she had a slight limp. When my wife asked her why she was limping, she began to explain that she had tripped and hurt her foot, but suddenly broke down in tears and then told us what had really happened and what had been happening over the years, why she wasn't coming. She had an abusive husband. And this husband didn't like the fact that she was working because that gave her a measure of independence. But the husband did not provide for the family. So many times if she didn't work, they would starve because there was no food. He'd disappear for days on end, and when he comes home, whether she's been working or not, he expected to find a three-course meal on the table. So when he came and there was no food, or the food didn't meet his expectations, he'd come up with a perfect solution to deal with her. The guy had taken a wooden plank and pushed nails through it so that it was like a, a comb made of nails. So when he came home and was offended, the food was not good or there was no food, he'd grab her, push her down, grab her two feet and bash them with that, uh, what do you call it, implement. And so when she would disappear for days on end, it was because she needed time to recover from all the wounds in her feet. But on this particular day when I would say we busted her, she forgot that we were watching and so she limped because she didn't know we'd see. And we were the first people for her to ever share what she was going through. 
Now clearly, this husband is not an imitator of God. And so even if he was to read Ephesians 5, to 33, on how a husband should love his wife, it's impossible for him to love his wife if he's not imitating God by walking in love, walking in light, and walking in wisdom. I want to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going somewhere with this. Because of this, and I didn't seek Pastor TC's permission for this, as KVC is seeking to ramp up the marriage care ministry, I honestly believe it will be completely futile to hold marriage seminars, have candlelit dinners, engage in all manner of activities in the name of building up our marriages if husbands and wives do not consider themselves the bride of Christ, part of his body, flesh, and bones, and so called to imitate him as dear children as well. No marriage can thrive where either the husband or wife or both of them have not taken on the identity of Christ's bride. I came across an interesting, very thought-provoking quote from someone called Paul Frost. He says this, a successful marriage requires a divorce, a divorce from your own self-love. And I want to add that upon your divorcing your own self-love, then you must turn all your affections to your groom, Jesus Christ. Then that marriage will succeed because you will both imitate God. When husband and wife are both walking in love, walking in the light, and walking in wisdom, they will be irresistible to each other, and that marriage will thrive. And that goes for all relationships. Single guys, I can't leave you out. That goes for all relationships also. Until we imitate God as Paul exhorts us, our lives will be like the five foolish virgins. At the point at which it matters, we will be exposed for who we are and we will fail. The point that matters the most is not even an earthly one. It is the one to come, the marriage lamp of the supper from Revelation 19, when our groom finally arrives to take us as his wife. Because now we are brides, we are wives-to-be. Then, as the church, we will be his wife. So the message I have sought to share this morning is this. Which of the ten virgins are you? One of the five wise ones who carried oil in their lamps? Or one of the five foolish ones? Where would you place yourself in the context of Ephesians 5? Do you know that you're Christ's bride and that he's coming back for you? Does your lamp have oil, his Holy Spirit? If it does, will you imitate God by walking in love, walking in light, and walking in wisdom? Those three questions are for those who know Jesus is Lord and Savior of their lives. If you are not a believer, 
if Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, would you consider accepting him this morning as your groom so that you can have the assurance that when he comes back, he will take you as his wife? Why would you want to continue playing church as the five foolish virgins did and miss out at the critical moment? For those who are married, do you realize that your marriage is meant to be a mirror of Christ and his bride, the church? Husbands and wives, you can only be that mirror when both of you are his true bride. No marriage care ministry will do that for you. And the last question I have is personal to each one of us. Will you be his bride? Revelation 21:11 describes the new Jerusalem, which is referred to in verse 9 as the bride, the lamb's wife. And this is who you and I shall be, from a Latin phrase I came across describing the new Jerusalem. Uxor splendid radis mariti, the bride, calmly through the calmliness put on by her husband. The bride calmly through the calmliness put on by her husband. Glorious in relation to Christ, in his image now perfected in her and his favor shining upon her. This is his bride. This is who we shall be. So again, I ask you, will you be his bride? Amen.